I invite your attention to the uh, first letter of Paul to Timothy. First Timothy. Let me uh, just remind you while you're finding that, that we're in the midst of a, um, a several-part series, although it will be interrupted after today, not to be resumed until, gosh, middle of July, I think. But on uh, spiritual depression, it's causes and cures. And so this is the second episode of that series. You follow as I read a paragraph out of chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Here we go. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. You know, guys, if there's one thing that we all know about pain is that if we're in it, we want out of it. If we got it, we want less of it. Pain, that is. Whether it's mental or physical, we want less of it. But um, simple solutions aren't easy to find. You know, guys, they're not easy, or solutions aren't easy to find because we're such, we're such complicated people. All of us are complex people. We... We're all this collection of vast collage of, of um, experiences that has made us who we are. I mean, um, I, I bet you we could right this minute come up with two or three events that occurred in our childhood that, that's, that we still remember, that still uh, shape us, that, that contributed to redirecting our lives or shaping us. And said, you know, I, 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 um, I can... Give you a couple of three myself, but it would probably bore you, and, and a couple of them I wouldn't want to say. But but it, but anyway, we're that's what we are. We're this collection of of various experiences that has made us who we are. And, and not only are we complex, we're broken. We're broken because we live in a a fallen world. And <laughs> gang, we're all mentally ill. It's just a it's just a question of degree. Um, sorry to break that news to you, but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, my sin has scarred me and I live in a, in a world of other sin scarred folks who, who, um, their sin scars me and my sin scars them. And so 
So what I'm saying is finding simple solutions is not easy. In fact, um, simple solutions simply won't do. Um, a, a simple diagnosis often misses the mark. Uh, sweeping generalizations are, 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 are rarely, rarely true. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that I make such a poor counselor. Because people come and they, they tell me, they, they privilege me with these these things that are going on in their lives, and about the only response I can make is, well, that's sin, now stop it. And that's not enough, folks. You know, that's that's a simple solution to complex issues that it just won't work. So here's what I'm saying. I, I want to try and I want to try and tell you what I'm what my hope is with this series, what my what my goal is. Hopefully, maybe we'll lower the expectations some too. But, but to, better yet, let me try to illustrate what I'm trying to do. All right, I think I've done this before. But do you remember the game that we used to play as kids called pickup sticks? Do you remember that? You, you had maybe they don't play that anymore. But um, you had this fistful of of multicolored um, plastic, uh, six, eight-inch toothpick-looking things, and and you took. Though that you held them right over the the floor and you and you dropped them, and then of course the goal was to pick them all up without moving any of the others. And the more you picked up, the, the higher your score, and you you know etc. So, so here's what we would do, and you you remember this? Uh, what we would do is we would we'd start working on the outside ones, you know, the ones that were easy to get to, um, and so we would get increasingly more complex ones as we got the simple ones. And the hope was that after we, after we gotten enough more of the, the simple ones, we could, we could really get into the core of the tangled mass in the middle. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with this series. I'm trying to pick up some of those, those things that are easily seen, that are readily available, that we can address somewhat easily in the hopes that that once we deal with some of those things maybe we can maybe, maybe we can address the real the real tangled mess in the middle just maybe okay all right i want to start this morning with with basically two assumptions two two axioms we'll call them here's the first one do you remember, do you know the, the parable in the New Testament of the ten virgins? Ten virgins, a dying breed, but, but there were ten virgins, uh, Matthew 25. Um, and they, they were all ten invited to a wedding feast. And so they come, they bring their lamps, uh, with oil in them, uh, for the wedding feast. And five of the virgins brought extra oil in case they ran out. And, of course, the parable goes on to say that the the bridegroom delayed, and so everybody ran out of oil in their lamps. And But there was five of them who had had, um, brought extra oil. And so they filled theirs back up. And the the others that didn't bring the extra, they wanted, you know, their extra oil. And the the five wise men says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not getting ours. You're going to have to go get your own. So they leave to go out and get some, some more oil. And while they're out there... The, the bridegroom comes, closes the door, locks them out, and they can't come in. That's the parable, Matthew 25. Now, gang, there's a whole lot that we could say, but one of the lessons of that parable, just one of maybe the minor lessons is this. 
that these people had addressed this particular situation um, and had not adequately prepared. Uh, let, let me say it this way. They were approaching spiritual things with a lick and a promise. Here's my point, guys. Depression, spiritual depression, can be and often is the result of the neglect of our own souls. We're going to look this morning at three situations, three life situations, and in all three of them, neglect of one's soul, neglect of one's soul plays a part. Um, guys, we approach our souls sometimes like foolish versions. We approach our souls with a lick and a promise and think that's going to be enough. And that ends up costing us. That's the first axiom. And the the axiom is this, guys. Depression can be and often is the result of neglecting our own souls. None of us get away with that. None of us... It's it's not going to be um, a cost-free neglect. That's the first axiom. And we're going to look at these axioms in these three situations that we'll get to in a minute. But... Here's the second one. It has to do with the devil. Guys, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who first said, there's two mistakes that you can make with the devil. Number one, you can think way too much of him. And number two, you can can think way too little of him. That is, you can find a devil under every rock, or you can dismiss his very existence. Gang, um, from the moment that you became a believer, from the moment that you became a Christian, you became the object of the special attention of, of Satan. There is this great line that I know I've used before in here, but it comes out of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, next to the Bible, it's the most uh, widely read classic in, the, in, in, Christ, in Christendom, Pilgrim's Progress. But anyway, Christian is on his, gets converted and is on his way to the eternal city. And on his way to the eternal city, he runs into Apollyon. Now, Apollyon is, of course, a figure of the devil. And they're in this big battle, you know. And, and Apollyon says this to Christian. He says, I hate your prince. I hate his word. And I hate his people. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, um, even though Satan cannot rob you of your salvation, you are everlastingly and totally secure. Yes. But he can cause a whole lot of trouble and desires to. There's a, there is a quote, and I forget all of it, but I remember the last half of it, from one of the old Puritans who said this, He cannot rob us of our salvation, but... He can vex us on the way. <laughs> he can vex us on the way. Can he not? There's a whole lot of vexing going on, isn't there? Here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to say to you guys. Our neglect plus Satan's opposition And then we get thrown into some life situations. Mm. That's a formula, ladies and gentlemen. That's a formula for spiritual depression. 
we neglect our souls. Satan comes to do his, his best. And then something, there's something in my experience that I get reminded of or thrown into. And all of a sudden, I find myself reeling. Okay? Now, let's look at three life situations that that are often referred to, at least in my experience, to people who are in spiritual depression. They they talk about these things, we'll look at three, uh, these things as being kind of the, the source and the origin of their their depression. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I know the details will vary from person to person, but but maybe they are. But they, but they sure do come up a lot. So, here's the first one. I am spiritually depressed because of that one big sin. The biggie. (laughs) If it's not just one isolated event, it could be a period in my life where, where sin was my middle name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know, um, I know about forgiveness, Jimmy. And yet, I, I, I sense that I'm forgiven for a lot of those things, my drinking and my gambling and those things, but not this one. It's too awful. It's too ugly. It's too big. And, and, and I simply cannot get beyond it. And then, invariably, they go on to say, I simply cannot forgive myself. Now, guys, that's, that's the life situation. First of all, you do realize, do you not, that saying something like that, that is, I can't forgive myself, you know that that's not a, that's, that's not a posture of humility. You know that, I hope. That's a posture of unbelief. That's not a, that's not a real spiritual statement like, oh, I so value forgiveness that I cannot forgive myself. No, 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 no. That's not humility. That is raw unbelief. Guys, um, here's where, here's where the neglect of our souls begins to catch up with me. I, I have spent one too many weekends at Pickwick. And now there's very little wind in my spiritual sails. And um, I cannot seem to get over that thing, whatever it was, that I, that I did in my past. Guys, I, I would suggest that you are suffering... In this particular life situation, you are suffering because of an ignorance of the gospel. This this is troubling you because of a failure to clearly grasp the the truths that surround the gospel. Now, let, let me just try to show you a couple of those. All right, first of all, to our text. Did, did you did you get it when I read it? <laughs> because this is a 
This is a wonderful little statement, guys, particularly to those who are wrestling with a, a biggie that they can't see. In fact, I think that's why this paragraph was written. Paul tells you in this paragraph that one of the reasons that Jesus saved him is to set him up as a test case, as a, as a model for folks who can't get beyond their sin. Paul is an example of pure grace. He says, I was a, I was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. And he goes on to say that one of the reasons that Jesus saved him was to speak to people like you, like us. And here is what he was supposed to be saying to us. That grace is greater than all my sin. Even that one. Look at verse 16 with me, guys. Look at it. He says, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, what foremost what? He tells you in verse 15, he's the foremost sinner of all. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner of all, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. As an example, to those who were to believe later on in the future, in him for eternal life. Guys, Paul says, one of the reasons that Jesus saved me is so that you can use me as a test case, as a model of what grace overcomes. So that in 2009, there's some, some foolish virgin in Germantown, Tennessee, who's neglected their souls and can't seem to get beyond this this one thing that they did so that they could turn to the Apostle Paul and say, look at that. That's a model for me. Guys, let let me warn you. The closer that you get to Jesus Christ, the more of your sin that you're going to see, not the less. That is, this haunting memory that you have that is dragging you down doesn't disappear over time. The only way to address it is to go back to the cross of Christ on which the Prince of Glory died. And why did he die? He died for sin. My sin. Even that one. Guys, what you're, what the remedy that's available to us is that we apply the gospel to our souls. Don't ask God to give you some special message or some special sign of forgiveness. He already has. Now, press that message into your soul. There's a a second thing that I want to say about this particular life situation. Guys, you and I have got to become experts in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I hope you understand that it means so much more 
than simply forgiveness. Now, it does mean forgiveness, but it means far more than that. It means that God has given us, given to us as Christians, the positive righteousness of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, please. You are hidden. And you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to say something that I say reverently, but I I, I say on the authority of this book. God does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ on you. Now, do you think that Satan is going to leave you alone now that you say, okay, well now I heard that from Dr. Young and I believe that, I, I believe... That is not going to be enough, folks. The message of justification by faith has got to be sung into my soul. It's got to be prayed into my soul. It's got to be worked into my soul. And neglect of my soul makes me vulnerable. It makes me vulnerable to the lashes of Satan's whispers over, Do you remember what you did? So, guys, if that's the thing that's dragging your soul into a pit, then we go back to the gospel and we apply its provisions to who we are. Okay, here's the second of the life situations. I, I, am, I am spiritually depressed because of my own sense of worthlessness. Let me explain, guys. I cannot tell you the number of times during this present recession in which we find ourselves that people have said that to me or emailed it to me. Or It is by far the most frequent thing that is being said to me in the midst of this, this recession in which we find ourselves. I lost my job and I feel so worthless. Okay, guys, let's, let's reason with me for a moment. Let's reason backwards, if you can, with me. That means that what I'm saying is that my worth is tied to my job. I am a valuable person because I perform a, a useful service, like a, like a lawnmower, kinda. You know, my value is tied to my productivity. So my worth is a derivative of my performance. And now since I lost my job, there's no performance and thus no worth. My dear brother and sister in Christ, first may I say to you, do you know what that is? That is raw idolatry. Because what it is, is that you are asking something besides God to give you, to protect you, or to provide for you, or sustain for you, or to create for you, your own sense of worth. And what you're asking to do that, you're asking your job to do that. And now the job is gone, or it's threatened. That's idolatry, brother and sister. 
But secondly, the real cause of the trouble is a failure to realize that I, as a Christian, am in union with Christ. Guys, Christianity is not simply offering you a ticket to heaven. It does do that. But but it says things like this. Have you ever heard this? My life is hidden with Christ in God. Have you ever heard that? My life is hidden with Christ in God. In Colossians 3 it says, My life is Christ. Guys, if you look at your present economic situation and conclude that I am worthless, it is because you are listening to the devil. And to a large measure, you are listening to the devil because you have neglected your soul. You know, how did we Christians get to this place? How did we get so fouled up? Well, part of the answer is we neglected our souls. We, we, we have a whole world that encourages us to neglect our souls and, and we can get away with that. Until the crisis hits, the recession, the divorce, the layoff. And then, in the midst of this crisis, the flimsiness of that which I've been standing on gets exposed. And it comes crashing down. And I end up in depression. Guys. In this sense. You and I should thank God. For this recession. And and I have said this half a dozen times this week. The one thing that I don't want us to do is to waste this recession. The thing that we must not do is waste the chance that we have to go back and to gaze at the beauties of the gospel so that we might reorient, that we might recenter our lives on the provisions of Christ's finished work for us. In that sense, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you this recession is a gift. I've been so blind and now the recession. And you know what? Strangely, my eyesight is a bit better. Guys, this is a chance for us to relocate the roots of our joy in the provisions that Christ has made for us rather than in our performance. Because this recession is calling us back to the cross. Guys, here's our chance. Here's our chance to discover how 
foolish we have been. While the money is pouring in, we don't see that our, that our houses are built on the sand. And then the flood, the flood that we call a recession, and bingo, we start talking about how worthless we are. Because we lost 70% of our 401k. My friend, may I say this to you with a fair degree of fury in my voice? If your work, well, if your worth is your job, then tell me, what is your worth now that you're jobless? You are worthless. Guys, I dare, to, I dare say to you that we could never have this discussion were it not for this recession. This is a time, and I, and I, 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 mean, I believe this with every fiber of my being, this is a time that you and I are experiencing the faithful love of a good God. A God who refuses to allow His beloved children to waste To waste their lives on superficial goals. Your job is not big enough to contain the value and the worth that you have. So here's our chance, brother and sister. To relocate the roots of our joy. into the provision of Christ as opposed to our performance. My worth is not associated with my job performance. It, it's, a, it's a way that I can, I mean, it's a thing that I can use to give glory to God, yes. But guys, if in the midst of all this, You're feeling a sense of worthlessness. Then take advantage of it. Don't waste it. Don't miss it. Here's a chance for us. To reorient. To redefine. And to rebuild a foundation underneath us which is not made of sand. Don't waste this recession. Here's, here's the final life situation and I'm done. I am depressed because of my regret over having wasted so much time and so much opportunity. People will say, um, in my past, 
I made a promise to God, a pledge to God, a vow to God. And, and it would, it went something like this. God, if you'll do such and such, then I'll do so and so. And God did such and such. And I didn't do so and so. God, if you'll just get me out of this one, I will serve you forever. And so we look back at our past and we, we are stunned with what we did not do. And, and even the time that we've wasted and the vows that we broke and the opportunities that we've missed. Or even that we wasted so much time as a non-Christian. And, and even as a Christian, we missed these opportunities. Guys, all of us have regrets about our past. All of us. But a, a legitimate regret can become the occasion of a, a sense of misery and depression, if you allow that. I'm saying to you that Paul could have thought the same way you're thinking. Oh, I wasted so much time and I didn't do what I said. And he, he could have thought just like that. But instead, he, he chooses to maximize his present. I, I just want to leave you with, in, in this particular instance... A couple of three or four things that the Bible has to say about looking back on my past and bemoaning the fact that I've wasted so much of it. Here's a couple of things that the Bible has to say to you. First of all, you became a Christian exactly when God would have it to have happened. You became a Christian in the fullness of time, just like everything else that God does. He does it all in the fullness of time, right when he wants to. Secondly, one of the things that the Bible might say to us is stop looking at yourself and start looking at them. We exist for them. So one of the things that might help you in the midst of as you crawl out of your own depression is stop your navel gazing. And lift up your eyes and see that there's a whole lot of work yet to be done. I'll tell you a third thing that it would say. It would say this. In fact, it does say this in Joel chapter 2. It says, God is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He will give you a crop in one year that will replace the the crops of 10 years that you thought you wasted. There's a fourth thing that I would have you to consider, and that is the thief on the cross. He was a Christian for a matter of hours, and he accomplished a great deal. He rebuked everybody standing around him in terms of who the Christ was. He he acknowledged him as Lord. Nobody else was in the midst of a very hostile circumstance. In a matter of hours, ladies and gentlemen, he left behind a, a testimony that has not been forgotten. And so, my brother in Christ, stop stop your moaning and put your hand to the plow. Your paralysis, your, your present paralysis 
is the result of neglect and Satan's influence in your life. I'll leave you with this, guys. There is a um, a wonderful statement in um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, it's a question. It's um, It's a rhetorical question where the author of Hebrews says to his audience this, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Did you get that? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Guys, the the obvious answer to that question is that we won't. We won't escape. Because neglect always has a price tag to it. But one of the price tags, guys, is at least part of the reason that we find ourselves spiritually depressed. We did neglect. We have neglected. We have neglected and put things in position that ought not be there. You know, guys, I probably shouldn't say this. This is off the cuff, and that's when I'm really dangerous. But I've said it on Wednesday night, so I guess I can say it here. When did the Christian church get the idea that we had permission to spend $3.75 on a cup of coffee? Where did we get that from? While we neglect a starving world all around the globe, we're going to spend $3.75 on a cup of coffee when you can get it for 54 cents. Guys, I'm, all I'm saying, I'm not trying to pick on anything. I'm simply saying, you know where that comes from? It comes from neglect. It comes from Treating our souls, approaching spiritual things with a lick and a promise. We can't do it, folks. And this recession is reminding us of that. And I plead with you as I close. Don't waste this recession. Use it. Use it as an occasion to relocate the roots of your joy in the provisions of Christ instead of your performance. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will encourage your people, that you will remind us that that there is such a glorious gospel to be, um, to enjoy to um, use as the great defense of our whole inner health. And I pray that you will remind us of the great beauty of what Christ has done so that never again, never again will we treat lightly, that we will, that we will handle our souls with a lick and a promise, that we will inadequately prepare to, to deal with all that life throws at us. Father, for my brother or sister in here tonight, this morning, who is, who is gripped in a malaise of, of low-grade, perhaps high-grade depression, 
Would you use the glories and the beauties of the gospel? Would you use the model of the Apostle Paul to remind us of who we are and whose we are? Do that, Father. Restore joy to your people for Christ's sake.